Last Sunday morning we talked a little bit together about Paul in Philippi. And we left him in prison, and that's not good. So we left him in prison last Sunday morning, and this morning we're going to talk about Paul departs Philippi. So we come to Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. And I think as we begin this morning, we we should pay a little bit of attention to the idea that some days are just extraordinary days. And I would suggest to you that the Apostle Paul, along with Silas, had an extraordinary day. And if you are a person who is governed by circumstance, if you're governed by circumstance, we're all influenced by it by circumstance, but not necessarily governed by circumstance. So they're in Philippi. They get up in the morning, and at some point they're going to go to the place of prayer. And as they go, this girl keeps following them. She's been doing this for a long time now, several days. And she has a spirit of divination, and she knows by an evil spirit something about them that happens to be true. And she keeps saying this on a daily basis, and the Apostle Paul is grieved by this. And this particular day, he confronts the evil spirit and evicts it from her. She's no longer able to operate under its power. As a consequence of that, those who own this slave girl, their livelihood is jeopardized. And the income that they derive through her demonic enablement is now no longer theirs and so they um, dragged the apostles before before the magistrates and they accused them of various things they're beaten and they're thrown into prison so that's quite a day that's quite a day talk about the circumstance the flow the ebb and flow of circumstance the highs and the lows of circumstance and how are we affected by the circumstances that we engage let's look at a couple of pictures as we begin this morning these are a little different than the ones last Sunday. This is the first one is an overview of excavations in Philippi. So there you see uh, from an elevated position, you see the what was Philippi and you see excavations of it. It's rather a beautiful area, mountains in the background. Also, we'll look at another one, a picture of the Via Ignatia, the road, the pathway that led through Philippi, and there it is, another view of that, which was a major thoroughfare in those days. Then the third picture is of the Carnides River. This would be the river where Lydia was, gathered with the other women, when the apostle uh, Paul and Silas, when they went and began to minister the gospel to these women, leading to the salvation of Lydia and all of her household. This is the Crenides River. We'll come back to this river perhaps a little bit later on. And the fourth picture is the prison, interior of a prison that is presented as the prison, but we don't know that it's the prison, but it, this is a prison in Philippi. Something like, perhaps, the prison in which the Apostle Paul was kept. And so this morning as we come to chapter 16 and verse 25. On this same day, it's midnight now, and I don't know about you, but realize this with me, that the apostles have been beaten. Their clothing has been 
removed from them and they have been beaten and then dragged off to prison. And I want to say to you this morning that they are injured, they are in pain, they are suffering and they come to this place because their own plans have been thwarted. The Holy Spirit has said no to their own plans because the Holy Spirit has a purpose in leading and guiding and directing them. And you know, they are right in the center of His purpose right now. They are in the center of His purpose right now. But looking at this from the human perspective alone, we could say, it would be easy to say, um, we really missed God somewhere along the path in order for us to be in this kind of a circumstance. How is this the will of the Lord for us? This is the perfect will of God for them. They're in the very center of his purpose. The point is we're, we're not called in this lifetime to be governed by the circumstances. We don't know, based on circumstances of the moment, exactly what the plan of the Lord is. We have no idea sometimes. It's not ours to know exactly and precisely. Why could I not go into Asia? Why did I have to come over into Macedonia and end up in this place? Because it is the will of God. It's the plan of the Lord Jesus. But the apostle knows all this. He's not, he, he's, not, um, he, he's not operating under any kind of depression with regards to any of these things. Nor is Silas. In fact, this is a great occasion being here wounded, suffering, hungry, tired, all these things. This is a wonderful occasion to sing and to give praise to God. Sing and give praise to God. Their eyes are on the prize. One thing I noticed uh, reading the life of the Apostle Paul, it's obvious that his focus was always on the end goal, the prize, the end of the race. He never permitted his focus to become uh, unduly uh, preoccupied with a given circumstance in the moment, whether it was a, a high or a low I have a few scriptures that I brought, a little list that I brought with me this morning having to do with singing and the importance of singing. I sometimes think we don't understand what the purpose of singing really is. Singing is worship. Singing is worship. Singing is victory over all kinds of circumstances. And to sing when you don't feel like singing is probably the time that you should sing. To sing when nature and the natural realm says this is a great time to sing is possibly the time that there's the least to be gained by singing. But to sing when everything around and within suggests that this is not the time I don't feel like singing right now this is probably the greatest and the best time to begin to sing. Exodus 15, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. This is after the victorious crossing of the Red Sea. Second Samuel, Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, 
and I will sing praises unto thy name. The apostle knew all these scriptures. He meditated in all of these scriptures continually and constantly. He knew that in this moment, among the heathen, this is exactly where he is, among the heathen, he's among violent offenders in prison. His feet have been bound in stocks because the jailer has been told, whatever you do, don't allow these guys to escape. In Psalms, oh, so many references in the Psalms, the singing. Psalm 18, Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. This is what they were doing. This is what they were doing. Well, there's so many scriptures. I'll just read a few. Again, Psalm 27. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer to his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? I can spend the morning reading these scriptures without repeating the same one. Psalm 57, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. You know, praise and worship has kind of become in this 21st century, has become some kind of, I don't know how to describe it accurately. It's become almost a vocation. We have these leaders who lead us, who are gifted in song and music. And they lead us in praise and worship is something that we do. Praise and worship is not necessarily something just that we do. Praise and worship is something that gushes forth from within us. In communion with God. Yes, I believe that there is an element of it that is... There's a, an element of it that is done in obedience to the Scripture and the command of the Lord. But at the same time, it's not something that is just similar like sometimes people go to a bar room or some kind of musical concert on a Saturday night or a country and western festival or something and they stand and they're moving all over and shaking and waving their hands in the air at the music that they're listening to and Sunday morning looks like the same thing. Only it's a different forum. That's not what they're doing. That's not it. Psalm 61, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. In this verse you see there's a relationship between daily perform my vows. In other words, as I should serve the Lord as I ought to serve him today and be faithful to him. Walk in the way that he has set for me to walk today. And singing unto the Lord is an integral part of that. Do you sing? Do you sing much? Do you? Do you? I didn't say you're a great singer, but do you sing? One of the things I remember with great fondness is coming home from school, grade two, three, four, five, all those grades, doesn't matter, and hearing my mother singing as I approached the house. Invariably, I would hear her singing. Sometimes I would hear her praying. But I would always hear her singing. Again, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. 
I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people, and I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. All of these passages of Scripture, I could read so many. Then there are a few verses I have selected with regards to praise. Here's one. Without regard to the circumstances, ebb and flow, circumstances change. They come, they go. Some of them were happy, some of them were sad. Without regard to all of that, In Psalm 42, why art thou cast down, O my soul? You see, this is dialogue. The anointed psalmist is speaking to an aspect of himself. He's speaking to an aspect of, he's speaking to his soul. How does that work? Well, he's commanding his soul. He's questioning his soul. And he says, Why art thou cast down, depressed, burdened, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Why? Hope thou in God. Are you listening, my soul? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So many like this. Psalm 139, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And then in Jeremiah 20, sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord. For he has delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of the evildoer. So there you there you are. The Apostle Paul, the Apostles Paul and Silas are practicing the word of the Lord. And about midnight they're singing and praying and singing hymns to God. You, you know what it says? It says it doesn't say they were praying and singing hymns, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Now the next part of this, have you ever wondered why this is, it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, this is very important. These words are very important. So there's midnight and they're praying, the two apostles, praying and they're singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Well, something unusual is happening here. Something very unusual is occurring because normally under these circumstances at midnight, the last thing you want is for a couple of Jewish men who are coming into this area. They don't belong here in the first place. And they're coming in here and they're creating all this disturbance at midnight in the prison by singing and praising their God. And I can just imagine all the voices being raised against them and all the things being said and telling them to be quiet and all of that kind of thing in no uncertain terms. But there's a supernatural, there's a supernatural presence that is um, commanding the environment inside this place, in this prison. And these uh, prisoners are being moved upon even now. Later on you'll see the result of this. But right now, we see evidence that the prisoners are being moved upon by the Spirit and the power of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is there with them.
They don't see him. They feel him. They feel his presence. They don't know what it is. But they're inclined to listen. They're listening. Willingly listening. And in this environment, exactly in this environment, environment, you know, a lot of things in life, there's a long process and we wonder if something will ever happen. Is it ever going to come? Is this ever going to occur? When things are done the way the Lord wants them to be done, there will always be a suddenly. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Suddenly. There was a suddenly. There's always a suddenly. But the suddenly always follows a long protracted period of time which involves patient obedience, faithful following of the Lord, walking in His Spirit. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. Well, this is a very... This uh, Philippi was frequented by earthquakes. Earthquakes were not foreign to Philippi. But this is more than just an ordinary earthquake. This is extraordinary. Has there ever been an earthquake that just opened doors and unfastened chains from prisoners so this is what this earthquake did this is a uh, this is a supernatural intervention in this earthquake and it brings about these kinds of things that are could only be brought about by the lord himself and so all the doors are opened and the chains become loose on all the prisoners and this all happens within this moment of visitation where the presence of the Lord is being felt even by the pagans who don't know him but they feel his presence now there's a jailer and the jailer would be the man the individual who had been charged earlier by the magistrates to uh, secure these men put them in the innermost and secure them very carefully and so There's no question that the jailer himself would not naturally have been fond of these men. What is there about them that he should be fond of? These, again, are Jews. They're foreigners. They're troublemakers here. Obviously, they violated the laws or they wouldn't be here. He puts them in there and he takes the feet, their feet, and he puts them in stocks. He doesn't care if they're wounded. He doesn't care if they're in pain. It doesn't make any difference. He doesn't treat any of that. He puts them in the stocks. But this man is to be the leader, one of the leaders of the future church in Philippi. And that's the plan of God. And that's been in the plan of God from the time he said, no, don't go into Asia. And when they wanted to go to Mycenae, the spirit of Jesus said no. And then he had the vision during the night, man of Macedonia, come on over here and help us. Who was that man? We don't know. Come over to Macedonia and help us. First time in his life the apostle, the apostle had been over into what we refer to as Europe. Well, it's to um, plant a church. It is to plant a church. It is the formation of an of an assembly that will come together and worship God and through the person of the Lord Jesus. And this jailer 
in Philippi will be one of the leaders. So will Lydia be influential in this church. But now he finds himself being awakened by an earthquake. He doesn't know anything about these plans. But he finds himself being awakened by an earthquake and the doors are open to the prison. And uh, immediately he realized, uh, okay, uh, my pr- the prisoners have escaped. And so since the prisoners have escaped, then according to Roman law, the punishment that ordinarily would come to the prisoners must fall on my head. And that means that he had prisoners in there who would be deserving of death. We don't know how many were there. But these are just violent prisoners. A lot of them are very violent and deserving of death. And so the jailer knows immediately that since the prisoners have been permitted to escape, and it doesn't matter whether an earthquake did it or not. To him, you see, it it happened under his watch. He's responsible. And he draws his sword and he's about to kill himself because he knows that his life will be taken from him. And he would, being a man of courage and valor, he will do it himself. And the Apostle Paul calls out with a loud voice. I don't know about, it's not just the loudness of his voice. It's a commanding voice. And he said, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. All of us are here. Well, how did they manage to influence all those other prisoners to remain there and not escape? Can you, that's, you remember when they were singing praises and praying and all the prisoners were listening to them? That's what happened. And so they were all under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord and His presence. And, and as we go through these, as we look at, at these events that happened, it's very important for us to realize that uh, the ways of the Lord, the way He works, and that He uh, triumphs over circumstance, and that circumstance of the moment, we should be very careful. We should take... Uh, Uh, inventory of our lives and ask the deep question to our own soul as David did why my soul are you so vulnerable and influenced by the circumstance of the moment why 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 are you disquieted by circumstances that trouble the natural man why You see, these, all these are written to permit us to understand that the Lord takes his people through all kinds of circumstances, adversities of all kinds. Some of them are laughter. Some of them are tears. Some of them involve, in this case, physical abuse and scourging. But in it all, he has a purpose. And when there is not the obedience and when we insist on our own ways and our own will, and this is what I want to do and I insist on having it my way, when we do that, we'll never see the miraculous event. You ask, you, let me ask you this morning, had the apostles decided that they would go to Asia? Had the apostles decided they would go to Mycenae? We've already made our plans and we're going to go to Mycenae. They never would have been here. 
and never would have experienced this outpouring of profound and marvelous grace of God. Never would have had a circumstance of being whipped unlawfully in the public places, but they also would never have had a circumstance of experiencing an earthquake that just released all their bonds and never would have had a circumstance where they're able to pray and sing and have all these prisoners just listening and wrapped and caught up by the attraction of the Holy Spirit. It's marvelous. And so then the jailer called for lights. I, I like that little phrase, he called for lights. You, you know, I just let me see if I can mention this without getting off on a little bit of a, another subject, but Whenever you have an experience in your life as a believer walking with Jesus and you encounter somebody who is looking for light, then you're talking to somebody that's on the right track, right? Looking for light. So you know when you're engaging people and talking with people, look for that. Are they calling for light? Are they looking for light? So it says the jailer called for lights and he rushed in. He didn't need any light when he was taking his sword and going to, about to kill himself with it, right? No lights involved there. But now he needs light. And he rushes in. And he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Wait a minute now, wait a minute now. What? He, he, he rushed in. I can't wait to get in there. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. He was reverent. He was under conviction, personal conviction of his own sin. How did he come under personal conviction of his own sin? The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. There was a supernatural presence that pervaded all that was occurring here, everything. And he fell down before the feet of those same feet he had placed in stocks earlier in the day. Now it's perhaps just after midnight. He placed those feet in the stocks. And now he falls down with great reverence before those very same feet. He's not worshiping them, but it's out of reverence. It's out of conviction of his own sin. It says, then he escorted them out and he said, sirs, see, sirs, he's calling them sirs. He's escorting them out. He's not throwing them in. Right? He's escorting them out. And sirs, what must I do to be saved? I need to be saved. I'm lost. No one knows they're lost unless the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that convicts of sin, persuades them that they are lost and undone. You know, we can offer all kinds of things and our efforts at evangelism, there's so many different approaches to evangelism, but from a biblical perspective, no one can be saved until they know that they need to be. And no one knows that they need to be saved until first they know that they are lost. And we can't go out and just rail against people and tell them how lost they are because the Holy Spirit persuades. It's an atmosphere. It's an environment. 
but sometimes the very circumstances that are required for that to occur, we uh, object to. We object to them because there's something in there that our flesh does not like. It's all here. It's all here. And it's here for our education. It's here for our instruction. It's here for, it's here for our guidance. What must I do to be saved? Remember even the, the, the demonic, uh, the, young, the young girl who was possessed by a demon and had a spirit of divination, she kept saying day after day after day after day, these are the, you know, the, show us the way of salvation. They show and declare unto us the way of salvation, she kept saying, which was true. So there was a sense in the ministry of the apostles and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the words that they were enabled to speak and just the atmosphere of their lives as the Spirit of the Lord manifested through them. This is what Pentecost is really all about. That brought conviction of sin. In the great revivals of the church, the great revivals in the history of the church that we have studied and looked at over the years, we see example after example after example that when in the spirit of revival, in the atmosphere of revival, people would cross a river and have, or, or come into a town on a train. And when they come into that environment, they begin to sense something different and begin to sense uh, a conviction of sin. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening in Philippi to the Philippian jailer. And so they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now your household won't be saved just because you believe, right? But your household will be saved individually as they as individuals believe. You will be saved as you believe on the Lord. And this, it's got two parts here. This is very important. So he wants to know what he has to do to be saved. And so they say, well, what you have to do is you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you do. You believe. So let's, what does it mean to believe? It's so simple. It's far more simple than we, we make it complicated. We think of all these doctrinal things and all these things that we have to understand and believe in this way and this way. The Trinity is this way and... These are all important. I'm not saying that these are not important doctrines. It's all important. But to believe on the Lord Jesus is simply this. It's simply, I'm yours. I'm yours. I belong to you. I will do what you say. Everything that I have belongs to you. Everything that I am belongs to you. My past, my present, my future, it all belongs to you. Where you call me to go, I will go. The moment that you point out something to me that don't go to Asia, I will not go to Asia. The moment you say don't go to Messiah, I will not go there. See, I will be directed by you. That's what it is to believe. To believe is to trust. I will trust you with everything that I am. My family, my friends, my Everything I will trust and give over to you. I entrust myself to you. Everything. It's the same thing as 
placing oneself upon the altar. To go to a different uh, biblical example. Where you take the offering and the offering is placed upon the altar. But the altar is holy because the altar has been sanctified to be declared whole, to be made holy. Therefore, everything that touches the altar now is made holy. So he says, you just believe, trust, place yourself entirely into his hands and keeping. And you will be saved. Now, the being saved part is not something that you can do. The being saved part is something that is done to you. So what do you do is you place yourself and trust yourself entirely into the Lord's hands. And as you do that, lock, stock and barrel, as they used to say, then you will be saved. You will be acted upon and you will be transformed and you will be saved. You can't save yourself, but what you can do is commit yourself entirely, entrust yourself entirely into the keeping of the Lord. That's your duty and responsibility. That's up to you. No one can do that for you. But the being saved part, that's done by him. He does that. Isn't that simple? It's just so simple. And that's the way we continue in the Christian life. So he understood. It says, but now this is very important. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. See, well, say, well, why is this important here now? They spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house because faith comes to appropriate, comes by hearing. And you have to hear. Right? You have to hear. So they proclaimed the message. They talked about Jesus and who he was and how he came. What he did when he came became a human being and that he lived eternally because he is God and became flesh. And they explained the crucifixion and the reasons for it and the power of it, the cross of Christ and the provision that had been made by Christ for him and his, and his household. It says that he took them the very same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. You see, all of these wonderful things that happened before their wounds had ever been tended to. Oh, just little scrapes they had, little superficial things, no big deal. They had some real wounds. They had some very, very significant wounds that needed to be cleaned. They're in danger of infection in a dirty, filthy prison with bleeding wounds. But hey, our wounds are not important yet. So all this wonderful ministry of the word to them occurs and then he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Right away he and his family were baptized. Immediately he and his family were baptized. And Pat will put that picture back up of the Crenides River. I think it's number three on that list. There it is. 
And so that's the Carnides River adjacent to Philippi, which is likely where Lydia and the women were on that Sabbath day that the apostles went down and began to engage and proclaim the gospel to them. This is the river where the jailer and his family were taken at that hour of the night. What, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, something like that. So what a change. What a change. Is there any change that rests upon your heart, your spirit, your mind about change that you really know inside with the will of the Lord that certain things would change? It's not just that we want things to be our own way. It's just that there's things that are happening and things that are not happening. And we know there needs to be change. Oh, Lord, there must be change. And how would the change be effected? Well, look at the examples of this kind of change. Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought this could happen? No one. But it did. Well, this is just reserved for then. No, it's not just reserved for then. This is reserved for now, the entire age. These kinds of changes need to be occurring now. It's the will of the Lord that they be occurring now. What does this prompt you to do? I don't tell you what it prompts me to do. It encourages me to keep my eyes on the prize. It encourages me to take my eyes off the things that are happening on a daily basis that either affirm or contradict what I think should be happening. Circumstances that make me feel happy and things that make me feel sad. Just the ordinary tide goes in, tide comes in, tide goes out of life. Keep our eyes on the prize. And always be realizing that and aware that the very thing that I think I should be doing and the thing that I plan on doing may not be the thing that the Lord wants me to be doing. And to walk so closely and carefully before him to be able to to receive the word of the witness of the Holy Spirit that says no, no, or the Spirit of Jesus that says no. And to be in the place to be able to be visited by spiritual giftings, to be able even to see, as the Lord brings to us, a very clear vision And sometimes the vision might be a dream in the night or a vision in the night, or sometimes it may be a strong, deep impression in your spirit by the presence of the Lord, saying, this is what I want you to do. And you'll know it when he gives it to you. This is what, it's like equivalent to the man from Macedonia waving in the night and saying, come on over here and help us. Change. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the law enforcement officers this I like this. This is really interesting. And they sent a message when daylight came saying, release those men. Just let them go now. I mean, we've abused them. We've beaten them without any kind of a trial or anything like that. We just beat them in the street. We threw them into jail. Now you can just let them go now. And the jailer reported these words to Paul. And the magistrates, he said, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So the jailer now says, so come now, come out now, he says, come out now of the prison and go in peace, go in peace. And Paul said, they beat us in public without a trial, 
See, this is good. This is good. Because this is truth. It's true. This is justice. You know, our Lord, He designs justice. Justice is something that we should love. Love justice. And insist upon justice. And don't think that you should just allow justice to be taken away from you willy-nilly. You should not. It's wrong to do that. So, well, Christians, well, we, Christians, you know, we just allow ourselves just to be, I mean, just, we're, we're just doormats is what we are. No, because that would be unjust. Now, when the will of the Lord is for you to be treated like a doormat, then that's fine. Go ahead and sing praises in the midst of it. But remember all the time that he is a God of justice. And so he said they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, you know. We are Roman citizens. And they threw us in jail. And now they're going to smuggle us out secretly? Certainly not, he said. (laughs) Certainly not. No way. He said, on the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. Isn't that good? And then they reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Oh, oh, we forgot to check. We forgot to check their citizenships. We just assumed they were Jews and foreigners. We had no idea that you could... We didn't really realize and think you can be a Jew, but also a Roman citizen. Do we know Jews who are Roman citizens? Yes. These guys are Roman citizens. Yes, they're Roman citizens. Look at the way we treated them. We have exposed ourselves to great danger. Now their own personal selfish self-interest kicks in, right? And they become fearful. So what did they do? So they came... And they apologized to them. Paul, Silas, we're so apologetic. We, we just acted in haste. Is there any way that you could forgive us for the way we acted towards you? We're so sorry. And they escorted them out. Paul and Silas couldn't do enough for them to help them to come out of the prison. Walked them out. Escorted them out. What a difference. Oh, what a difference when Jesus walks by. It says, and then they urged them to leave town. And after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and then they departed. This is our time this morning as Paul departs Philippi. And we come to the moment of his departure from Philippi. He will write letters. We read them in our Bible. He will talk about them. He will refer to them and all in the future. But this is his first time in Philippi. Now he is departing Philippi. What did he say? What did they say? Uh, We don't talk very much. The scripture doesn't say a great deal about what Silas says. A little bit, but not much. But they would say... uh, among other things, they would say, brothers, brothers, keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus and not on circumstances. Keep your eyes on the goal and on the prize that is set before you. 
they would say it won't be long. It won't be long. This life is relatively short. And your journey is here is relatively short. But let it be significant. And let it count. Be found faithful at the end of it. Wait until you see the Lord and he says, Well done. Well done, your good and faithful servant. And invite you to enter into things that have been prepared from the foundations of the world for you to enjoy with himself. So be faithful to him. Don't be intimidated by any circumstance. You know, without just... They, they lived that example. They lived that example. All they had to say were the very things that they had lived. And then perhaps they would give an individual word to individual brethren. Where, you know, they would speak to an individual and encourage that individual in terms of his or her life and the purpose of the Lord according to the things that the Lord would reveal to them in an apostolic anointing that they had there was revelation that they received even with regards to individuals and how to encourage them and how to direct them in their life weren't ruling over them in a carnal sense but as in a spiritual sense they would be fathers and guard and keep and sustain and provide for them spiritually not carnally but spiritually and say Things like I perceive that 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 you are that that the Lord would be pleased to use you specifically in this way and to continue to grow in in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord as He would continue to use you in a certain to encourage them like that and also to say to them that that this assembly now that is very small in Philippi this is going to grow and this assembly is going to become significant here in Philippi and the Lord will bring others in to fellowship with you in the same way as he brought you in. You know how he brought you in? He's looking at the Philippian jailer. He's looking at Lydia and all the members of their household and all the others now. And he says he will bring others in the same way he has brought you in. And they know that that's the way that the Lord brings them in is through their own faithfulness, walking according to his purpose. And then he departed and they began to walk on the Ignatian way and they left Philippi. 